Welcome to the Women Leaders in Global Health podcast with myself, Almin Volfart Ellison. My guest today is Dr. Somya Swaminathan, who was recently appointed Deputy Director General for Programs at the World Health Organization. How do you approach this enormous brief? My role is to ensure that there's a synergy, there's a coherence, there's a focus, and that we work closely with our regional and country offices in order to ensure that we actually translate uh, everything that we produce into actual health impacts on the ground. The WHO is a, is a sort of normative agency for health, and countries across the world really depend on WHO to produce guidelines and uh, strategies for health. But quite often we note that there's a big gap between what's in the guideline and what we're telling people to do or, or asking countries to do and what they're actually able to implement. And this is for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's related to having capacity uh, in the country. Sometimes it's related to financing uh, and there could be other reasons. So the focus of our work is really to ensure that everything we do translates into health impacts, into population benefits in countries. And so that's really my, my primary focus of my work. How big a role does gender play in global health? Gender plays a very big role. Um, if you look at healthcare providers, for example, you'll find that over 60% are women. And in some countries, even higher proportions are women because of all the, the community health volunteers and the nurses that provide healthcare. And therefore, if you want a program to be conducted successfully, it's linked to how you can empower these women more in order to do their work more effectively. Gender also has another impact on, on the work we do, and that is really to apply the gender lens to all the programs and to use data to really drive policy. Gender is one of those indicators of equity in the way that health programs you know, cover populations. And therefore, as part of our next five-year program of work, we have gender equity and rights across all our program areas. And we are going to put a lot of emphasis on measuring the gender and, and equity aspects of the work that we do to ensure that we're not leaving anyone behind. Do you think it is important to have women leaders in global health? Yes, I do. <laughs> in fact, uh, I think women bring a different perspective to the delivery of health services because uh, of some of the reasons that I just told you. Being a healthcare worker, being a woman, you know what it means to be able to balance your family life and your professional life. You understand more about the, I think, the, the burden that women, particularly poor women in developing countries face, the triple burden of home care, of outside professional careers, and of childcare. You really begin to see things from the perspective of a woman. If you find that there are places where women are not accessing care, uh, you have a better insight, I think, into how certain cultural customs or social customs might actually be preventing women from accessing care. So I think very often when you sit in a boardroom full of men, and if you're the only woman, I've noticed many times that the woman brings a very different perspective and dare I say, a more humane 
a more caring perspective to the topic under discussion. When did global health really start to matter to you? I remember a visit to a remote area in North Africa where I saw patients with mycetoma that no one ever talks about. Mycetoma is a chronic infection. In fact, it's still not well understood. We don't know what bacteria or fungus causes it, but it starts as an ulcer and then gradually eats away at the flesh and spreads and then gets into the bone. And it's so debilitating and painful. And it really, you know, sort of, it doesn't kill the person, but it makes them completely sort of incapacitated. They can't work or live a normal life. And when I saw whole villages of people with this disease, and yet there's hardly any research, there's hardly anything being done to treat this condition, we realized that there are still lots of populations that are far away from the eyes of people suffering quietly, silently. And you need, you need champions, you need advocates to really speak up. Even their own governments sometimes are not paying much attention to them. WHO that way has a strong voice, uh, uh, sort of a, a fair and uh, impartial voice that can speak up when there are uh, these, these problems that are not being addressed. So this is what I mean by ensuring that equity and human rights and gender considerations uh, should always be uh, right up there when we think or talk about or roll out any health program. How important is it for you to get out there and visit communities? Do you still find time to do that? <laughs> no, I think that's what keeps me going. I would, uh, I would die of frustration if I couldn't do that. And uh, it's been difficult to manage travel and, and, and a lot of other responsibilities. But whenever possible, even if I'm going for a conference or, a, or an official visit to a country, I make sure that I do a day trip and go out into the uh, into the rural areas if possible, or at least into the urban slums to see what, uh, what life is like and, and what the real problems are of people in those communities. And within India, of course, I've traveled a lot to remote tribal areas and so on. So, so I think that's, it's very important to be grounded in that reality. What can be done about the disempowerment of women? And let's face it, I think women's difficulties have a lot to do with their lack of power in their communities. Yes, I think women definitely are disempowered. They're long-suffering. They would rather prioritize the health of the menfolk and their children. Uh, and this we see in many, many communities, but it's especially so in the more patriarchal uh, cultures. And then there are sometimes barriers for women. Uh, in many cultures, it's not acceptable for a woman to go on her own to the health center. You know, she has to wait for her oh. husband or brother to accompany her. It's also not appropriate for male health workers to visit uh, the homes of, of women when they're uh, alone in the home. So, for example, we find that uh, in some countries, even just doing polio immunization for children is a problem because um, you can't have a man health worker going in. Neither can you have a woman health worker because they are not allowed to be up and about uh, you know, independently. So there are very many still challenges for women. <laughs> And um, so that's something to really keep in mind when we are developing health programs. But on the other hand, we've seen examples of many countries where community health workers, the women have become so empowered because of the responsibilities that they now have and because of the respect that that generates 
within their own communities. So if you look at the Community Health Worker Program in India, the ASHA program, or the Community Health Worker Program in Ethiopia, these are you know, very large programs, it's really resulted in a lot of empowerment of, of women. So I think just giving them that responsibility, the trust, that position of some authority is, is very important for the community to start respecting them. Do you see any movement towards improved equality between women and men in the global health community? I think things are changing. You find many of the leaders now committing to, to gender equality, gender parity, or at least moving in that direction. So the DG of WHO, Dr. Tedros, you know, ensured that his senior management and his cabinet was very much tilted in the favor of women. The UN Secretary General has made sure that, that his senior leadership team is, uh, has gender balance. So I think the leaders are definitely making an effort beginning to commit to this, but obviously it's a process that takes place over a period of time. But one does see the change. I think there's much more now recognition and uh, at least it's on the table, I think, when, when recruitments are being done or when positions are being filled, uh, both within countries and, and, and globally. But I, I do believe that uh, positions important positions should be filled uh, based firstly on merit and capability for that role uh, and not based on gender. There's also the question of women not applying. And I've seen this in, even in my own career when I've seen uh, job opportunities or uh, positions being advertised, I haven't felt confident enough to apply for those. I've always rated myself as, oh, I need a little more experience. I need to grow a little bit more in stature or in maturity. Whereas my male counterparts would never have any hesitation in applying for positions which were clearly way above you know, what they could have aspired to. So I think there is also a, an issue of women self-assessment, perhaps being more you know, conservative or, or, or not having as much self-confidence as, as perhaps men in the same position. And that's something that we should work on. And I think having a role model is so important. You won't believe the number of letters and emails I've received from young women, medical students, or other young women in public health who've said that, that they consider me a role model, that it's an inspiration. And if a woman can make it to this position, then that they have hope. So it's important to have role models from in your own communities, in your own countries as well, because you relate much more, I think, to that person in some countries where they can see that against all odds, somebody has become a leader, then I think that gives a lot of hope to young people. Thank you very much for joining me today, Dr. Swaminathan. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. For more information about the Women Leaders in Global Health Conference, please visit www.wlgh.org. Please follow us on Twitter as well on hashtag WLGH18. Goodbye.